0: Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and boy, I couldn't be more excited about this week's show. I've got three fantastic guests that have become wonderful friends that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. We'll talk about who they are in just a minute, but here we are on the heels of a dominant win at the Players' Championship by Scotty Scheffler. Scotty is starting to look a little Tiger-esque, folks. That was his sixth win in his last 27 events. So he's won 22% of the time that he's teed it up over that span. That winning percentage sounds a little familiar to you. One better on FanDuel wagered $300,000 on Scheffler to win at the players at 10 to 1 odds. That person brought home a cool $3 million. Gulf Monthly said that better was a punter. We don't know at what level, NFL, college, CFL, we don't know. And if it was a punter, oh, by the way, nice job out of you for having 300 grand and the confidence, oh, by the way, to wager it on a guy whose last two appearances at the players was a missed cut and a tied for 55th last year. That guy's smiling from ear to ear right about now. We got a lot to get into tonight, especially with the report that the USGA and the RNA want to roll the golf ball back. So we've got a lot of opinions on that tonight we're going to be sharing with you, plus could we see the the formation of a new big three right now on the PGA Tour with Scotty, John Rahm, and Rory trading the number one world ranking each week? Three guys from three different countries, a lot of different bandwagons to get on. And look, we love those guys. We love Rory. We love John Rahm here in the U.S. too. So a lot of really passionate golf fans have three great guys that they get to root for that are essentially trading the world number one golf ranking. Every single week, it feels like. So we've got a lot to talk about with respect to that and a lot more going on around the game of golf. On a side note, a quick shout-out to Jerry Kelly for becoming the oldest player to make the cut at the Players' Championship at 56 years old. You go, Jerry Kelly. Finished the tournament one under, tied for 54th, but ahead of the likes of Gary Woodland, Justin Thomas, Adam Scott, Will Zalatoris, Last year's PGA Tour Rookie of the Year, Sahith Tagala, and Kevin Kisner as well. Not to mention all the guys who didn't make the cut. So, again, congratulations, Jerry. Well played. Okay, on to tonight's show. And here's the lineup that I have in store for you. One of the very best instructors in our game and the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, Rob Strano, is back. And as you guys know, Rob's a great friend of the show. Always makes this segment so much fun. Looking forward to having... Rob here tonight, and and getting to spend some time with him. Following Rob, 1983 PGA champion and two-time Players champion Hal Sutton will be here. And oh, by the way, folks, both of those guys, Centenary Golf College alumni. Right? If I told you two Centenary College alumni were going to be here tonight, you might be shaking your head like, "Who? Who could that be?" Well, you got one of the best instructors in our game, and Rob Strano, and then one of the legends in our game, Hal Sutton. Both of those guys from Centenary. Both of those guys here tonight then we're going to round out tonight's show with 21 time winner between the pga tour and the champions tour john cook always enjoy spending time with Cookie. He's got a lot of great stories and insights looking forward to having him back as part of the show tonight he'll join me a little bit later on in the hour so there i told you so hard to beat this lineup tonight we're gonna to have a lot of fun and i want to thank all of you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with You know, I always like to start things off by reminding you about our friends over at the Macklemore. As you guys know, my buddies and I have gone there for our annual golf trip the last two years. And it's such a wonderful place. The accommodations that they give to you over there are fantastic. The practice facility is great, complete with the driving range and the Himalayas putting golf course. Plus, they've got a six-hole short course, which is a great way to either warm up before your round or a lot of fun after your round with your sandwich and a beer in your hands. So. Great stuff that they have available for you there. Plus, the on-premise restaurant, which is called The Craig, has great food and service. And to say the course is spectacular, it just doesn't do it justice. It's co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones and PGA Tour Caddy. And another one of my favorite guests here on the show, Kip Henley, said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. And Lynx Magazine doubled down on that, naming it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See for yourself how outstanding the course and the resort are by going online to themaclemore.com. I also want to remind you about our friends over at TaylorMade and their all-new Stealth 2 driver. If there's one thing all golfers want from their driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now back in making his 16th appearance with me here on the show is one of my all-time favorite guests and one of the all-time great instructors in our game, plus the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, Rob Strano. You can watch the Golf Kingdom on Amazon Fire TV, blab tv and roku plus you can also subscribe to his youtube channel and folks rob is just one of the all-time great people you get to meet in this life and i'm very excited he is back with me again tonight here on next on the t hey rob how are you my friend
3: chris it's great to be on the centenary golf team radio show tonight (laughs) uh leading the way for for hal sutton and you know when i saw the lineup tonight i i kind of asked myself this question i said you know, do you ever feel like a, a brown suit in a room full of tuxedos? <laughs> well, that's that's kind of me tonight. I feel like
0: you are no brown suit, my friend. You are right there with all the rest. Don't don't sell yourself short. You're a tremendous slouch.
3: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And and it, like I said, it's it's always good to, to tee off and and lead and lead things here on your show. And and uh, great guests. And what's on your mind, Chris? What are we going right. to talk about?
0: All right. So let's start off with a couple of things. I want to start. I know you spent some time there at TPC Sawgrass, so I want to get your your thoughts about some things. Starting off with, I know you did a golf camp there that you held for deaf players. Talk about how that went.
3: It went great. It was our 20th year doing the U.S. Deaf golf camps for the kids from the Florida School for the Deaf. So 20 years ago, I was led to take up sign language without any touch points in that community. I didn't have a deaf family member, friend. I'd never seen sign language, but it was Something that God was leading me to do, and found there was nobody actively teaching the deaf kids how to play golf in sign language. So we started doing these camps, and I've done 29 cities with the PGA Tour and LPGA Tour. We've had a ton of great players that have done clinics for the the kids, from Jim Furick to guys like uh, Mark Wilson and um, Scott McCarron, Just the list goes on and on. Natalie Gulbus on the LPGA Tour, and uh, we teach them how to play golf in sign language, and they in a morning clinic, and I take them through the the equipment van at Callaway. And then at the players, we get to take shots at the replica green at the 17th hole experience. And then a a lunch in the corporate box to watch the players on 17 to kind of round out the day.
0: And Rob, they also do a, a wonderful military appreciation event. I know you saw a piece of that too. We can't do enough for our military heroes. Talk about what you saw there.
3: Oh, the military appreciation thing. I don't understand why Golf Channel doesn't broadcast that, because basically it's the Super Bowl halftime show for golf, but with all, all the other jiggle shake and and bad language and stuff. They had Riley Green come in, do a concert after honoring, honoring the military and doing a flyby, and they do it right on the 17th hole. So the, the scenery, the crowds, the corporate boxes are full of people, and it's an absolute awesome thing. It's just really cool. And Why Golf Channel insists on having the guys sit around that evening and talk about the 17th hole some more as opposed to just broadcasting that and just sitting back and enjoying the show. I don't understand why that isn't more front and center because it's really cool. And if you get a chance to stay and enjoy it, it's worth it.
0: And for those of us that have never been to TPC Sawgrass, let alone played it, does TV do justice to what the the course is like? Do we get a sense? Of all of the undulations and and what the course is, or is there more to it? You really need to see it in person.
3: You really need to see it in person. It's a totally different deal when you're out there looking at it. And and for example, the fifteenth hole doesn't get captured by the TV like when you play it. So when you see it on TV, you kind of go, oh, "All these other holes are great, and this is kind of a nothing hole." And then you go there and you see the shoot the players are hitting through where the the trees on the left are touching the trees on the right, basically. And you you got to go across the lake there, which isn't in play, but it's pretty. And then the whole bends to the right. And it's this little funky, kitty cornered, tiny green that slopes from left to right away from you. And it's just it's really a cool golf hole that TV just doesn't show you what it is. And then you get to 17, and it looks like you can throw the ball on the green from from you know standing there. And TV doesn't quite capture that. And then just all the holes on the front side, you know, the par 3s there are so awesome and 3 is such an underrated hole on the golf course. And it is such a cool par 3 and the back left bunker there is just a burial ground if you hit it there. It's just it's so deep you could just stay there all day trying to get it out.
0: <laughs> Rob, for me, I'm I'm guessing a lot of average golfers like me when when we see 17 and 18. To me, those two tee shots have to be the two of the most intimidating golf shots that there are. I can't imagine what it's like to stand on seventeen when the wind is blowing. I can't imagine trying to take a one-stroke or even a two-stroke lead with you over to the tee on eighteen with the water all down the left-hand side. What's it like? You you mentioned that the green looks like you could throw it on at seventeen. What's it like standing on those tees or around those tees, and then you know trying to put yourself in their position, trying to win a golf tournament? coming down to
3: those last two holes. Well, like you're depressing me by bringing this topic up because I played there about a month ago. And in the 30 times I'd probably played 17, i have never hit it in the water.
2: Never? The flag. Wow. The flag
3: was dead straight in the middle of the green on the back. All the way back, dead in the middle. It was a perfect pitching wedge. And I hit it right on my line. And we had the same wind virtually that they had on Sunday that left or right wind. And same went hit a little my little left to right fade back in there, perfect yard for a pitching wedge, and I saw the ball pitch right next to the hole, and then I didn't see the ball, and I turned to my caddy and I went, where'd that go? And he starts laughing, and I go, what are you laughing about? He goes, it took one bounce and went in the water, and I go, what? He goes, yeah, I forgot to tell you that the uh, the back of the green there, that's the hardest part of this green right now. They're firming it up and. I probably should have told you to bring it in there a little short of the flag. So (laughs) we walked up there. My pitch mark was literally like three feet left of the hole. Wow. And the ball took one bounce into the back into the water. So I was depressed. Then I got up on 18 and once again, had never hit it in the water on 18 and tugged one a little bit into the water and then made birdie on my my second ball, hit hit another one down the fairway, hit an eight iron in there and made birdie on, uh, you know, net birdie uh on my second <laughs> ball. So the tee shots, the T shot on eighteen to me isn't as hard as as it may look on TV. Um just because I'm left the right player, I aim just inside the bulkheads and just unfortunately like I didn't do, just make sure it doesn't go left. And there's a lot of room and like I was curious about what Scotty did on Sunday because he hit it over the crowd. And I was like, you know, you kind of take a yardage to the bend there and hit it straight on that line so you don't hit it through into the rough. He could have hit probably a four-iron off that tee and kept it in the fairway, and then, you know, they four or five-iron up to the green. So that was curious to see, but, you know, in person, they're a little different looking than you see on TV.
0: Rob, changing gears just a little bit, you recently spent some time with a former Players Champion and Fred Funk on your TV show.
3: What was it like talking with Fred? Oh, Funky's awesome. We had the best time on my show. He was a great guest. And, um, you know, we talked about some, some different things about his game and his career. And we talked about like back in when he was at Maryland, you know, he didn't make the team at Maryland. He had to go to a Juco and then came back to Maryland. And he, he told the story of which I, I'd never heard in, in the one of the qualifying rounds on like the fourth hole, which is a par three, he made a 12 and there's no water. He said he hit it left over in some junk, and proceeded to keep hacking at it till he got it out, and made twelve, and that cost him qualifying for the team. So then he went to a JUCO and had to come back, which which was a funny story. And we talked about like the skins game and the fact that he just you know in that skins game with Tiger and Annika and um, I think Freddie was the third player. He he just he he won like fifteen skins and just smoked everybody on that. And of course that's the. That's the infamous one where he wore the skirt after Annika drove it past him (laughs) like the third hole, which he said that was, we knew that was going to happen. He said it was only a matter of when, and she did it real early in the round. (laughs) That's fantastic.
0: So Rob, the golf world is abuzz today. As you know, the USGA and the RNA came out with their decision to roll the golf ball back for elite players. Your thoughts, what do you think about that decision?
3: Well, I think it's, it's a little late and I've always laughed about for years. Mr. Nicholas has, you know, barked about the golf ball. And the USGA has patted him on you know, on the head like he's like he's a little silly boy and gone, oh Mr. Nicholas, aren't you so cute? Look at look at Mr. Nicholas. Isn't he cute? Isn't he <laughs> sweet? He's such a legend. He he's he is such a nice old guy. That Mr. Nicholas, thank you for your thoughts. We appreciate your input. Thank you. Now Now go over there and just and just go do your golf stuff. And and he's been right all this time. So now they decide to do something. But my take on that is a lot different. I, I personally don't care about the golf ball. I would institute what I call the 55-45-35 rule. Okay. And that rule goes like this. The maximum loft you can carry in competition is 55 degrees. The longest driver you can carry in competition legally is 45 degrees. That kind of will bring back some yardage. And then the um, the um longest your putter can be is 35 inches. So 45, 55, 45, 35 is what I would do. And as far as the golf ball concerned, the bigger thing to me is the fact that we're allowed to draw a line on it and aim the ball. That's the easiest thing they can do is mandate no using the ball as an aiming tool. I mean, Chris, imagine you and I going into a pool hall and you announce, we're going to play eight ball for a hundred dollars a ball, and by the way, the cue ball. I'm going to draw a line on it and aim it before every shot. They're going to cut your throat and throw you in the back alley. <laughs> but we allow that in golf. Golf, you aim the club. You don't aim the game token. So that's the golf ball thing I'd like to see, and then fix the distance thing a different way. You know, they they've tried to to fix it with the 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 COR you know designation. Um, on the drivers trying to get the trampoline effect back. But if you shorten the driver, I mean make it 44. I don't care. Go back to what it was when you and I were growing up hitting persimmon. It was 44. Go go to 44 for these guys in competition as the, the longest non, you know, non uh putter club you can carry and and go from there.
0: So I agree with all of that. I'm still I'm still wondering why why thirty five on the putter? What is that gonna do?
3: That eliminates the long putter. Oh, okay. Aha. <laughs> see the method to the madness now don't you
0: yeah, indeed so where do you stand on anchoring you know whether it's arm anchoring or whatever with the putter i mean we, we got rid of anchoring theoretically with the long putter and anchoring to the chest um but we see anchoring in a lot of other ways
3: how do you feel about that well i've always said in the testing i've done in putting if i couldn't put conventional or left low I would put the Kuchar method, where you anchor it to your arm. Yeah. That, in all the testing with the data, is very stable, and and works fantastic. Um, but you know, I'm all for not anchoring at all. I mean, that kind of that's kind of not golf to me. But you know, for the recreational player, I don't care what they do. You know, I don't, I don't care if it's you know backwards, left-handed, standing on their head putting. If they're better, that's fine. But when it comes to the best of the best, you're supposed to be the best of the best for a reason. And you should be able to do it without anchoring to anything. Rob,
0: let's switch gears and talk about your show, The Golf Kingdom. I subscribe to it on YouTube. I downloaded the app on my Roku TV. And, and one of the things that I love about your show is is the the Keep It Simple Strano section, where you give us little tips Easy for us to translate and take with us out on the golf course. What are a couple of simple ones, i.e. kiss, that we can give to our listeners tonight that may save them a stroke or two when they go play this weekend?
3: Wow, just just put a little pressure on me to, to go back through all the shows of my memory and come up with kiss segments. But if we're gonna do the kiss segment, we gotta do the m we gotta make the kiss sound. There you we're gonna do the kiss segment. So uh, a couple simple things, kiss segment wise. Do you do you have a specific part of the game in mind? sir host about what, <laughs> what you'd like it to be in this KISS segment.
0: So we just talked about a 35-inch putter. Let's talk about on the green. What's something we can do to make more putts?
3: Okay, to make more putts, keep it simple straddle. Simple thing to practice putting well. Open a sleeve of golf balls. Lay the sleeve on the ground open in front of you. Start off two feet away from it. Three balls, put them till you can put all of them into the sleeve in a row back up to three feet until you can put all of them into the sleeve in a row. Now you may have to start a foot away. I don't know your, your skill level out there as you're listening to the show, but practice putting into the open sleeve of the, the where the balls were. And you'll find your aim gets more precise and your stroke gets more precise as you're just sending the balls back to their home. There you go.
0: You've also got some wonderful strano-isms. Talk about those.
3: Strano-isms, wow. There there's a there's a ton of Strano-isms that I've got. In fact, that that comes from my coach, Jim Suddy. Um, he had suddy isms. And so I as I started to coach, I, I came up with things I was saying that were kind of my things. I was like, we're gonna call these uh, you know, stranoisms. So one of my stranoisms is prepare, don't hope. I see a lot of players that when they're working on their game or they're in a lesson, they just rake one ball over after another and just try to hit it, hoping they do it right. I'll say, look, step back. Give me a couple practice swings or do the drill we're we're doing and prepare to do it right. Don't just pull the ball and go, I hope I do this right. I hope I do this right. You find that they get somewhere faster by preparing other than hoping. I think we all do a whole lot of hoping. (laughs) That's that's, (laughs) that's definitely true. Another good one I've got is don't genuflect to the queen. Okay. That's for wedge play. A lot of wedge players uh, will, will on the downswing when they're hitting little, little pitch shots and 50, 60 shard shots will bend their knees as they go to hit it. So they'll kind of genuflect to the queen and bend their knees. Whereas good wedge players, we stay up on our legs and are actually kind of barely rising through the hit as opposed to going down. So
0: let's take that a half step further, Rob. And, um, one of the great playing lessons that I've watched from you recently is kind of when we find ourselves. What I like to say is in in no man's land on a hole. We're forty, fifty yards off the green. A lot of times, we'll grab our sixty degree wedge and we end up hitting it fat. We thin it over the green. We scull it. You know, all those sorts of bad things. You, <laughs> you you had a great tip for how we can hit that shot closer to the green. you mind sharing that one?
3: Yeah, it's it's real simple. When you play those those pitches and no man's land shots. One thing you've got to do is you have to keep your low point under control. You can't be shifting around. So low point is up opposite your left armpit. So when you set up, you want to pitch your weight, lean your weight into your lead foot. Feel like you're you're like 70% on your lead foot, like the right foot is just a your trail foot's just kind of a, a resting place for it. And you lock it there and stay there on that front foot. You don't go backwards. You don't go forward. You don't tilt around and tip around when you swing. You lock it there, stay there. And then as you go through, you've got to understand the the concept here for these shots. It's ball control. So you're trying to fly the ball slowly so it lands softly. There shouldn't be a lot of violence in this shot. We're not trying to hit it hard. It's a hard club and a hard ball. So the interaction is already hard. You're trying to hit it solid and control how far it goes and make it land softly. I always tell players this, men and women, imagine your spouse is out there and you want them to be able to catch the ball in their hat as it lands, not knock the hat out of their hand and make them duck as this ball comes screaming at them.
0: Ah, I like that. Now, let's just get a little more detail because I know a lot of times when I'm looking at how far I want to hit the shot and how softly I want to hit it. I'll open the face a little bit. Are you talking about a square club face or are you opening the club face at all?
3: Well, that's getting into a lot of details there for the neutral wedge shot pitch or a, a shot in that, that no man's land, but we call 30, 40, 50, 60 square face. Keep it simple. Strano, right. We'll go back to that. Yes. Um, oh. Keep it square. Okay. If we've got to flight the ball higher, then open the face and, Make sure you finish the front side of the shot is what I say. A lot of players will dump the follow through because they equate a longer follow through with a full distance shot. But if you're not shifting, you're not throwing a lot of hips and legs at it. Like you would a full swing. You don't have that same amount of energy you would have on a full swing. So you don't have to worry about dumping the follow through, which usually dumps the ball into the creek, the lake, the bunker, short of the green, let the follow through run out, let the energy run out. And you'll find that ball getting up to the flag for you.
0: Rob, I had the distinct privilege of spending time with you at the PGA merchandise show earlier this year. You made the show so much better for me and showing me as, as a, as a first timer, as a rookie there. Hey, you got to see this. Hey, let me show you that. <laughs> what, what were some of the products that you saw while you were there that really stuck out to you?
3: Um, there was one we just got for our indoor studio that was really cool, and I probably sold 15 units for them because I kept bringing people over there, and that was the putting mat where the balls curve. So the balls have a weight in the side, and you put them down, and the balls have different colored lines on them, so like the old range balls with a stripe around them. So you got red, green, and blue, and each one is 1%, 2%, or 3% of break. So the weight makes the ball tip and curve. So you, you line the ball up with the line on the mat. And so if it's the, the 3%, you're actually lined up off the mat from eight feet away. And you've got to focus on start line and make the ball start on line, make it roll end over end. And then the the weight curves it back to the hole. It's really cool. We loved it. And it was very addictive. And we use it all the time in the indoor studio.
0: You know what I've got on the floor here in my studio? What's
3: that? <laughs> I got a mat that has a
0: balls that break left and right and center because my friend uh my friend Rob shadow said, you know what, this is really cool. <laughs> and I practiced and, and I hit a couple and I thought, you know what, this is really cool. So I've got one sitting right here in the studio now. So thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you to my new friends. Oh, by the way, at me and my golf. Check it out online, folks. Meandmygolf.com. It's tremendous.
3: The other cool thing was a product called DeWiz, which is basically looks like an eye watch. And um, it gives feedback on what your left arm does when you swing. And it's got a, a feedback mechanism that will give you electric shock if you do it wrong. So that's kind of fun.
0: <laughs> I'd and hate to be with, your student using that
3: thing. It comes with a big warning, too. When you, when you <laughs> go to does. use that, it says, is this person 18 years or younger? Because it's illegal to use it on a minor.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd hate to be having a bad day as, as one of your one of your students. We got one of those things on there. I'm not sure that I would be the same afterwards. (laughs) It's fun. No doubt. Rob, one more before I let you go. And, and, you know, my next guest is Hal Sutton. You guys both played your college golf at Centenary College there in Louisiana. You came a little after Hal. But what was it like, you know, watching a, a recent Centenary grad having so much early success on his PGA Tour and kind of following in his footsteps?
3: Oh, it was great. I mean, to follow after him, our team that we had was really good because once Hal Sutton comes through, man, it's easy to recruit when you have someone like that. And he won everything. And I remember like watching him win as his, his US, U.S. Amateur on TV and just going, "Gosh, this guy's going to be such a star." And he went on to be, you know, hu- a huge success on tour. But you know, it, it was great to watch him um when he was in town and, and the times he would be around. And and to watch his swing and how under control he was, because he was really really a great ball striker. When you talk about someone who could who could put it where he wanted to, just at will, it was just it was really fun to watch and just kind of let that wash into you. Because I you know, I grew up with the Hosts and Golbies at St. Clair Country Club in Belleville, so I grew up around tour players and grew up around watching them and and letting being able to absorb that. And I was always a great copycat. So to be able to watch Hal and how he did things and how he swung and, and, and the way his game was, you know, it was something that I was used to absorbing from being around that. Rob, for our listeners that are in your area
0: down there in Destin, Florida, let them know how they can come get a lesson from Rob Strano and then also follow you online and on social media.
3: Well, you can check out everything about the academy at strano in the upper right corner you can hit book now and see my schedule and get on it and we can help you with your putting wedge game full swing we we do it all uh the indoor sanctuary we call it is where we have all our technology so you can rent time in there it's also at strano i'm on all the social media platforms but the big one is the golf kingdom tv show as you mentioned we have our own youtube channel all the shows are there they are all on roku also and there's a few of them on amazon fire as well so we're out there at the golf kingdom Um, 76 Shows Season 5. Wow, good for you, my friend. And they're so much fun to watch. Thank you. We have fun doing them. Rob, thank
0: you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. You're always fantastic. And you make the segment so much fun to be a part of. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon, my friend.
3: Hey, always great to be on the show. And it's, you know, in in college golf, the number five player, they always go off before the four, three, two, and 1. Well, on the Centenary Radio Show tonight, you've got the number one guy teeing off last, and you you put me out ahead of him. So I'm the, I'm the two, three, or four guy, maybe the five guy leading off for Hal Sutton
2: here.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Rob, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, Chris. See you, Rob. That's the great Rob Strano. Again, the show is The Golf Kingdom. You can subscribe to it out on on YouTube. You can download the app on your Roku TV. It's on Amazon Fire. It's so much fun. It it is truly a variety show. Rob does a great job of making learning simple and fun. You, you talk about keep it simple, Strano in the in the kiss piece, but Rob Rob has so many wonderful ideas. He is so creative and teaching you how to do things. It makes the show a lot of fun to watch, and it's it's you you're gonna learn something. You're gonna get better, just like what he shared with us. With with the with the sleeve of golf balls and putting it in there, and, and we're all going to start making more putts because if you aim small and you're going to miss small, I think that's that's where you go with that. You're going to make a lot more putts. And then, like I say, the 40, 50, 60-yard shot that he teaches you, and he's got that on a, on a recent episode. You can watch it, again, out on YouTube. You're going to make that shot a lot more. So you, no more fats, no more sculling it across the green. You're going to get it close. You're going to save par or make birdie, depending on what hole you're on. But Rob's a great guy. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. And hopefully we get the privilege of catching up with him again before too long. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Hal Sutton, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say.
2: An average player... I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58.
0: There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full-face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And that's me and my golf. And they're offering 10% off their brand new range of training aids. I visited their booth and loved their breaking ball putting mat, which allows you to practice breaking putts at home on a traditional putting mat. I've got mine right here in my studio. They've just launched their own golf glove, and they're offering next on the T listeners 10% off the whole range. Use code Chris10 for 10% off. That offer expires March 31st of this year. Check out their great array of training aids online at meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to Construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T.com, and use code Chris for 20% off the green collection today. All right, now back in next on the tee with me is PGA Tour legend Hal Sutton. Hal's a great follow on Twitter, at Hal Sutton Golf. He's got a podcast of his own. It's called Be the Right Club Today. You can watch and subscribe to that also on YouTube. It's also available just about everywhere you get your podcasts. And for those of you who haven't joined me before when Hal's been a part of the show, and you may not remember what a great career that Hal had, let me give you a quick reminder of what should be a World Golf Hall of Fame resume. He was named the 1980 College Player of the Year, won 14 times during that college career at Centenary, He was a two-time All-American and led centenary to the NCAA tournament. He was a two-time Trans-American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. Like Rob mentioned in the last segment, won the 1980 U.S. Amateur Championship. Hal turned pro in 81, got his first win on tour in 82 at the World Disney World Classic. And that year he was named the PGA Tours Rookie of the Year. 83, he was named the PGA Player of the Year because he won the Players Championship and then the PGA Championship. And how about this? He beat Jack Nicklaus by a stroke in 83 at the PGA. And then later on his career, he beat Tiger by a stroke at the 2000 Players Championship. In 98, he won the Tour Championship here in Atlanta, captained the 2004 U.S. Ryder Cup team, and he backed up his 14 college wins with 14 more on the PGA Tour. Finished second 18 times, 135 top 10s and 239 top 25s. That's why I say he should be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. And it's a thrill to have him back with me again tonight. Here on Next on the Tee. Hey, how are you, my friend?
2: I'm good, Chris. How are you? I'm
0: fantastic. Thank you.
2: <laughs> I have so to ha- apologize. I'm fighting a little bit of an allergy here, but I'll, I'll do my best here.
0: I appreciate you taping an aspirin to it and playing anyway. Thank you. how <laughs> so, you might have heard Rob when at the end of the last segment. He followed you at Centenary. Talk to me about your days at Centenary. What do you remember about being a player there?
2: Well, Floyd Horgan was the coach, uh, my junior and senior year. Uh, we worked hard. We were probably one player shy from having a chance to win the NCAA. We ended up finishing ninth my senior year, but you know, we had a bunch of great guys on the team. We just, we couldn't get that fourth score to be low enough. (laughs) So, uh, a lot of interesting personalities on the golf team. Love those days. We worked really hard. It was fun. College is fun. <laughs> it's been so long ago, Chris, I had a hard time remembering.
0: How <laughs> <laughs> so? update us on what's going on now. I know you, you've been a part of a lot of projects there in Houston. How are things going?
2: Things are good. Uh, the Academy is doing well. We, we made some changes at the academy, but it's doing great. Jamie Fraser's running it for me. And, uh, Jamie Marshall's also teaching there. And, uh, and then I'm, I'm there once a week, maybe sometimes twice a week and doing a little teaching, but I'm actually building a golf course, uh, Darmore club, which is West of Houston. Uh, having a lot of fun doing that. It's a, Tribute to C.B. McDonald and Seth Rainer. We used the templates that they created uh, to build a golf course and a beautiful piece of land that will look very Scottish and uh, fun doing that. Is that something you want to start doing a lot more of? Uh, Who knows? You know, I'm pretty uh, serious about it. I'm out there every day. Most architects, you know, if they make it five or six times to a project, that's a lot. But I take it very seriously. I want to make sure that it's good. So I'm there every day. Hard to do a lot of projects like that.
0: How here we are on the heels of this year's Players' Championship. You've got some great memories from playing there, having won it twice. And is, is that a special week every year when that comes around? Does that put a smile on your face when, when it's Players' Championship week?
2: I always enjoy watching it. It's a a great venue for a great championship. Uh, Scotty Scheffler played tremendous. Uh, I'm always amazed at his short game. He might have the best short game we've ever seen. Uh, But, you know, this year, a little bit different than ever before, you know, with this LIV thing going on. And uh, uh, I feel bad for Scotty. Cause you know, every other year we'd say that the TPC always had the best field in golf, uh, this year, it felt like it didn't quite get there just because some of those guys were missing. And, uh, you know, it's by their own choice. Uh, I hate that it's divided golf. Like it has, I kinda, <laughs> I don't know enough about it to even talk about it anymore.
0: Did did you miss having those players out there? I mean, I was talking to, to some friends and, and and on another show about the field and, and watching the players' championship. And, you know, I, I never thought to myself, gee, I sure wish Brooks Kepka was out there. Boy, I sure do miss DJ playing in this event. Did did you find yourself wishing that those guys were out there?
2: Well, I you know, I did for Scotty Scheffler, and let me tell you why. He played so magnificently. And for him to have uh, he probably would have beaten every one of the rest of them, you know, but it would have been nice for them to have been in the field so he could say he did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there will always be that, uh, well, not everybody was there and he doesn't deserve that. Cause he played, like I said, unbelievable. Uh, you know, I hate that it's gone. The direction is gone. I mean, uh, the tour was, uh, I was always so proud to say I was part of the tour because, you know, it was the best field of golf in terms of where you could go play and play against the best players in the world. And charity was a big driver. And, you know, I'm yet to hear anybody talk about charity from the uh, LIV. It's mostly their own charity, uh, (laughs) which is (laughs) kind of why everybody bolted, you know, was because of all the money. And, right. you know, I played because I wanted to beat people. You know, I, I mean, obviously we had to get paid, but we were paid well. I mean, It doesn't seem well today, but uh, at the time we were getting paid very well. So,
0: Hal, I had John Mahaffey on the show last week. He won the players in 1986. He talked about not only the difficulty of standing on the 17th tee, on Sunday, trying to win that golf tournament. But on the 18th tee as well, we saw the water swallow a lot of golf balls this past weekend. And John said he used to like to hit a little cut, but there was no way he was standing on the 18th tee, taking the ball out over the water, hoping it was going to cut back over land. So uh, I was just curious, you know, you obviously had to do that twice. You went to the 18th tee with a one-stroke lead and pulled it off. What's it like standing on that 18th tee trying to finish off that golf tournament?
2: Well, 18 is a really tough driving hole. There's no doubt about that. And uh, the first time I won there, uh, I hit driver kind of down the water's edge with a fade that went through the fairway, actually, uh, into the right trees. Uh, Ended up making bogey on the hole, but still was able to prevail. Uh, the second time against tiger, uh, he had the team drove it down there perfectly because he had the Eagle 16 and, uh, you know, I, he hit his stinger two iron and there was no way I could, I couldn't hit it past that with my three wood. So I had to drive it because I wanted the last shot into the green. And I had hit three wood all three days before that, but just made up my mind, it's now or never, you know, this is your chance to beat Tiger, so let's not back down. And uh, at that point, you know, I wasn't thinking about how nervous I was. I was thinking about how I was going to do that. And uh, I felt good all week. So I wasn't going to not feel good on the 72nd hole. Yeah.
0: And when you won there the first time, you mentioned you did it in 83. You were four strokes behind my next guest, John Cook, going into the final round. And when I look back over the final round scores that year, there were a lot of high ones. In 70, uh, Sevy shot 78. Craig Stadler shot 84. A lot of players between 77 and 80. You went out there and shot 69. John Mahaffey just happened to be the only player to do a little bit better that day. He shot 67 in that final round. Was the wind up, and did that give the Texans uh, an advantage to, to come from behind and make your move?
2: The wind was up that day. Uh, and, I, you know, I have to tell you, in 1983, the golf course was a lot harder than it is now. Uh, it it had not matured at that point. The 16th green, instead of setting down low and being kind of mild in the green, it was an elevated green with the water right next to it. Much harder hole than it is now, uh, and several other holes were that way too. But you know, it was harder than they wanted it to be, so they softened it some. Uh, when Pete Dye first did it, it was a mighty a test.
0: Rob Shanno earlier uh, this week sent me a picture of a kids' T-shirt that they were selling there at TPC Sawgrass. It has a picture of a golf ball inside of a crib with the phrase, be the right crib today. Have you seen
2: those? <laughs> Rob sent me that same picture. Did he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, You know, I'm just happy I said something that everybody kind of hung on to. You know, I, it was uh, never had been planned. It was just a moment of passion. I think I've told you this before, Chris. Uh, the ball wasn't there. I knew I had the right club. It was right at the flag. And the only thing that could change things would be a puff of wind and that basically was what i meant you know don't don't uh, no gust come up or anything else because it's it's done if we can if if it'll just do what it's supposed to do right now
0: and how we've got a great scenario going on on the pga tour in my opinion with scotty Scheffler, john rob rory mcelroy trading the world number one ranking it seems like every week i believe this is the best scenario for the PGA tour, because there's a lot of bandwagons to jump on. We've got three guys from three different countries that people can rally around versus having just one dominant player. Do you like the idea of having a dominant player? Do you like the idea of what we're seeing now with, with what I think golf magazine was saying, could we have a new big three in our hands?
2: It's kind of interesting that you say that. Uh, I think everybody is in love with the thought of, somebody up and coming and becoming a dominant player until they get that. I think everybody loves the, the, the competitiveness of, you know, several players being for number one, but then when they finally get the uh, dominant player, maybe they're not as excited about it after they've got him, you know, everybody's trying to cut him down once he gets there, you know, it's amazing. Tiger, everybody's trying to cut him down and, we all owe him some money. He made us all money by being part of golf. He brought so much money to the game and is what I mean. And you know, I was happy. He was there, you know,
0: how, so the golf world is all abuzz today, right over the USGA and the RNA saying they want to roll the golf ball back. I don't know your thoughts. What do you think about that idea?
2: I think it's a great idea. Far too late. (laughs) Uh, I just think the golf ball's gotten out of hand. It's cost the consumer so much money. It's unbelievable. Changed golf courses and, you know, every golf course, uh, everybody that's a member of the golf course, they've had to lengthen their course. They've renovated and uh, made some golf courses obsolete. Uh, money has driven the game for a long time, and the manufacturers want to make all the money they can, and they've sold the world on how much further the new driver goes. If you read the fine print, it says you've got 110 miles an hour of speed. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it the game is a lot more than just the distance you hit it. And it's turned into that, uh, which is a little bit, uh, frustrating to me because, John Cook, who's on next, we all worked on trying to hit the ball straight because that meant something. And uh, the straight ball doesn't mean as much as it used to mean.
0: You've also talked about how different playing on tour is than what the rest of us do in regards to mistakes. When we make a mistake at work, four or five people know about that mistake. No big deal. When you guys make a mistake, millions of people know about it. We saw it on TV. We read about it the next day in the paper. And nowadays it's all over social media. Talk about the pressure that goes along with being out on tour.
2: Well, today it's more than ever because of what you just said, social media, you know, guys, they can't make a mistake because everybody in the world will know about it. And, uh, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure with trying to make a living on the tour. And then when you add trying to please the world in every aspect of your life, you know, I, I struggled with it. You know, and people labeled me uh, more than I could do. And it got very frustrating because I wasn't living up to everybody's expectations. And, you know, I started buying horses and trying to become a cowboy instead of a golfer because I was trying to get away from them and that was way back in the late eighties, and you know we didn't have social media and everything else it was just what people said to you basically or what you read in the paper Uh, now if you pick up any social media platform there's plenty of stuff on there to be frustrated about (laughs) if you're doing anything
0: now just a couple more before i let you go and a few years after you beat Jack Nicklaus in the 83 PGA, you went on and won his tournament, the Memorial. You did that in 1986, just a few weeks after Jack wins the 86 Masters.
1: What was that week like for you?
2: Well, it was always fun to go to the Memorial because Jack was very, very, uh, how presenting the nicest golf course we played and, uh, the best experience in the locker room, uh, you know jack was very serious about having the best tournament for, by player and uh you know their practice facility was fantastic golf course was always in perfect shape so i looked forward to going to the memorial every year and that year i was really hitting the ball well so you know i was looking forward to playing there and happened to get lucky and win i always felt like you know if you're playing really well you know, finishing in the top 10, you know when you're going to finish in the top 10. You're playing that well. But getting in the winner's circle required some luck as well. So I was fortunate there.
0: Well, winning that, what's it like coming off the 18th? Because Jack played well that week, too. He finished tied for fifth. You walk off the 18th green, a winner, you get to shake, uh, shake Jack Nicholas's hand and win his tournament. That's got to be a huge accomplishment.
2: Well, he was my idol growing up. So, yeah, it was uh, uh, it was always fun to be in his presence because you felt like uh, you were in, in golf excellence's presence. And uh, everything he did, I tried to copy. Uh, the way he approached the ball from behind it, you know, I always thought, you know, my dad, we'd watch him play. and My dad, he was standing there and lining it up. And my dad would look at him and he said, Well, that's good enough for Jack Nicholas. That's good enough for Hal Sutton, don't you think? And he would you know, he's always promoting me uh following whatever he did. So yeah, I admire Jack a lot.
0: How before I let you go, remind our listeners again, how can they stay up to date with all all the great things you're doing about your academy? How can they follow you online and on social media as well?
2: Well, house golf academy uh we've got our own website and then uh i'm on twitter most of the time we're on instagram at house golf and then uh, i don't know how else <laughs> 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 <You> know, <laughs> i think that's I, I'm good. moving around a lot chris so hard to keep up with me
0: Hal, i can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of this show it's always a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you, I hope we get that privilege again real soon.
2: Thanks, Chris. I always enjoy visiting with you.
0: Take care, Hal. All the best to you okay. and your family.
2: Okay. Bye, bye. See you, Hal.
0: That is the great Hal Sutton, and again, a guy who should be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. That resume to me is right on par with a lot of the folks that are already in the World Golf Hall of Fame. So I, I just I, I shake my head. Every time we get to this time of year and we're looking at the, the, the guys and, and gals that get inducted into the hall and, and how Hal Sutton's name is somehow not there. I think that the hall is not complete without Hal Sutton, without Dave Stockton. I'm going to be tooting that horn for a lot of years. OK, before I get to my next guest, John Cook, I want to talk to you about two under men's performance briefs. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DiMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. 2under. Two performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit sconey.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's sconey.com, skon dot com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Okay. Now back in next on the tee with me is Champions Tour Pro and Sirius XM PGA Tour radio host and analyst John Cook. John is from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 79 and the 1979 National Championship. John won six individual titles while he was there. He's also inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame back in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978, finished second to Mark O'Meara in 79. He also won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 1979 and the Ohio Amateur in 78 and 79. He would turn pro later on in 79, got his first tour victory at the 1981 Bing Crosby National Pro Am, won again in 83 at the Canadian Open. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour, 10 more times, out on the Champions Tour. He has seven top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 92 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. And in 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame. And I am very excited to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Cookie, how are you?
1: I'm good, Chris. You are unbelievable. That is such a great introduction. And to follow Hal Sutton is we battled so much in the you know late 70s early 80s all the way through our careers it's uh it's a pleasure to be with you chris thank you for having me
0: i appreciate you john
1: i want to start our
0: time tonight by talking a minute about tom wisecoff we unfortunately lost him way too soon late last summer and i know he was a driving force in your career one of the reasons why you went to ohio state he was just announced as a the new inductee into the world golf hall of fame Talk about his influence on your life.
1: you know what Chris this is it's really emotional to me, but what Tom meant to me, um, you know, just in high school, uh, I would get a call every once in a while, we'd be sitting at dinner, and you know we somebody would answer the phone it's tom Tom's on the phone uh, I didn't have a Tom in my my, in my area and some of my friends. it was always it was Tom Wise call. Tom Weiskopf's calling me. Goodness gracious. That's, it was amazing to me. And, you know, I always admired him and not even, I mean, even before, um, you know, we got involved in the recruiting uh, process to go to Ohio state. I, I loved his golf swing. I loved the way he carried himself. I knew he was from Ohio. I was in Southern California, but we were Ohio people. Um, so, you know, he was a huge influence, uh, not only getting me to Ohio State, but also when I got to Ohio State and also got on tour. Every time he came to Columbus, he would give me a ring either in my a dorm room or apartment or where, where, wherever I was living. And he wanted to go play golf. And that continued on, uh, Chris, into my professional career where he would we would play a lot of practice rounds together. And he he always had a message to me. He always said, "Observe the golf course. Ask what the designer, the architect, was. What it, what's he asking you?" And you know, that's why he's he's in the Hall of Fame, Chris. Not only because he was a great player, not only because he was a great broadcaster, but he was a great architect as well. And so the influence that he had on my career playing practice rounds asking me questions me asking him questions um it's a little i mean i'm so happy that his name is going to be in the hall of fame i think it's a little late honestly and i can say that with a clear conscience because he should have been in the hall of fame years ago while he could get up there and accept the award and let people know on who time wascoff was and you know, I, I miss the man dearly. He was a big influence in my life, Chris. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm happy that his name is in there. And I I, I appreciate the fact that uh, he is going to be in there. I think it's a little late, but I'm happy that he's gotten his name in there.
0: Yeah, John, and I guess that that's where I feel like there's a hole in this and that it it is late. I mean, I hate the fact That we lost him, you know, a few months ago, and now he's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and he's not going to get the moment to kind of drink that all in, feel how special that is, feel him, you know, the honor it is to be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. He's going to miss all of that, and 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 that that just sort of rubs me wrong that the hall waited this long.
1: Yeah, you're right, Chris, and uh, Lanny Watkins and I for years. I mean, I got into television probably you know, eight, ten years ago. And Lanny and I have been beating this drum for a long, long time, and we're happy that he got in. Um, it was a little bit a lot like Ken Venturi. He was really wasn't able to appreciate the fact that he was going into the Hall of Fame. Um, he did get in before he passed, but he was not able to attend. And uh, express his feelings. And Tom's not; he's the, kind of the same way. So, um, but we're happy his name is in there. Deserves to be in there. He it has such an influence in the game, uh, Chris, in so many facets of the game. And it, if anybody out there is listening and they want to know why would he be in as a broadcaster, go back and listen to some of those masters calls. Right. Go back and listen to some of. What he had to say when he was sitting on 13 at Augusta National, it's just incredible the insight that he had, not only in the game of golf, but the architecture of the game and just being part of the game.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree with all of that more. I mean, I, yeah, I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan. I can't tell you how many times I've watched replays of the entire 86 Masters and Tom Weisskopf being there uh on 16 uh, perfect everything he had to say was perfect and and, yeah. and and with a little bit of you know dry sarcasm in there as well but he made <laughs> he made every podcast he was a part of better because he was there and like i say i i just i just wish he would have had the opportunity to stand up there at that podium and accept this honor I, it's a shame he's not
1: yeah I, I, exactly and I, I i remember one call and i think i had, been done for the day. We played on it. I played in the morning and the, the wind was blowing incredibly hard um at Augusta during the Masters first round and you know Tom Watson you know like beating the field in the afternoon by a few shots and I remember Brent Musburger like asking him, you know, "Hey Tom, are, are you surprised at Tom Watson, you know, shooting this score and beating the the scoring average in the afternoon?" You know, by this many shots, he said, Brent, he won five British Opens. He can play (laughs) in the wind. I mean, I mean, how succinct is that? I mean, that's 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 the great mind of Tom Weisskopf.
0: Absolutely. John, I want to switch gears a little bit. Obviously, the, the talk today is all about bifurcation and what the USGA and the RNA are talking about with the golf ball. Your thoughts on the idea of rolling it back?
1: Oh, my gosh, Chris. And and I love me some Hal Sutton. We battled for so long, so many years. Um, who wants to roll the ball back? I don't want to be 20 yards shorter. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> they let it get out of control. It, it's, the, it's the USGA's fault from the beginning. It, it has nothing to do with the players. They're only taking advantage of what they are given. And they missed, I think the USGA missed the boat. Years ago, by not, you know, upgrading their standards, not upgrading how they tested the golf ball, uh, years ago, it's it's not the player's fault. Don't roll that ball back. Um, maybe it's at its limit. I'm good with right now stopping everything. Right now, that's fine. But it's like in IndyCar racing or or, or uh, uh, any racing, Formula One, whatever. They start rolling everything back, and you know what happens. The engineers outrun them and they figure out a way to make it better anyway. So I, I, I don't understand this. Um, they talked about, and the tour talked about bifurcation for so long. We don't want to do that. We don't want to bring this in. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen. The players right. of today that play at the country clubs and the, and the Munis and are, are the, now they, they wouldn't be able to play the same game as the professional golfers, and that's that's the problem that I see. That they can't not um, compare themselves to what the players, the you know, the best players in the world are doing. Honestly, Chris, I, I don't like it. Um, I'm not for that bifurcation of that. I'm I'm for some bifurcation of rules and. Uh, some of the other things, but rolling the ball back I don't think accomplishes anything because you know what? Those guys that hit it far are still gonna hit it far and they're gonna s- relatively and I'm a numbers guy. I was a math guy. I was a you know a, a statistics guy. I said, you know, it's it's not going to level up. Twenty percent is not twenty percent for everybody.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Anybody that can launch it higher is still gonna hit it farther. And it's not; it doesn't quite work that way. So I I am not for this whole thing. I think if if there's a limit right now, that's fine. But you can't roll things back and make professional golf at the highest level go back a step or two to make things equal, because it won't be equal.
0: Do you think there's some chance that, like, we're in a what a six month sort of let's talk about this thing? Period, and then if it gets adopted in August, then in in January of twenty six, you know it it will start. Do you think there's any chance that over the next six months they they someone gets to them and just says, you know, hey, look, this is stupid. We're not gonna, we don't like this. The players, whoever it is, and there's some chance that you know what? Okay, you're right. We won't do it.
1: Yeah, I i think the the manufacturers certainly have a big say in this. They've already made their statements that they're not for this. Um, I think, as professional golfers you're probably gonna have you know you're gonna have both sides of the issue. I think that they're gonna have to understand on what this means to the ninety nine percent of the players in the world that don't play professional golf and that they can't be part of this that they um really are kind of the forgotten the forgotten people in this whole thing. The professional golfers, again, they'll find a way to increase distance. They'll find a way to do other things, you know, face of the club, um, the CCs, the COI, all all that stuff. You know, these engineers are not stupid. They're not hired in these these equipment companies by, you know, just because they need to hire somebody. Um, They're going to figure out a way and it's all going to come back again. And it, it's going to, I think it's going to bite them. Honestly, I, that's the way I feel. Like I said, I know Jack is on one side, Hal's on one. I, I get that. I understand that. But I'm I'm actually competing this week after 18 months. I've come out of retirement for two weeks to play here in Newport Beach at the Hogue Classic, uh, next week at the Gallery Cla- uh, Classic there at Mission Hills, where I grew up and spent a lot of my time. I don't want to hit the ball twenty yards shorter. Honestly, <laughs> I get this. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. So um, I want to keep the distance that I have, so I can be competitive. Because the longer players are going to still be long, and the shorter players can't get the ball up in the air quick enough to take advantage of it. So I'm I'm not for it.
0: Switching gears a little bit, John. Here we are a couple of days north of the Players Championship, and. Thanks to a five hole stretch on Sunday, Scotty Scheffler walked away with, with the golf tournament. What'd you think about what you, what you're seeing? Not just what you saw this past weekend, but over about the last 27 events that Scotty's been in, he's certainly winning at an awfully large clip. And when he's not winning, he's right there in the mix. What do you think about what we're seeing from him?
1: You know, Chris, I've, I've, I've been in this media part, um, now for a few years and I've, we've covered college golf. We've covered amateur golf. We've covered corn fairy. We've covered PGA Tour. Scotty Scheffler is no joke. And I mean that by he has won at every single level. It may not be pretty. It may not be aesthetic. But you know what? He was dominant as a junior. He was great as a college player and an amateur. He was corn fairy player that dominated as well. It took him one year. Um, to make his mark on the PGA tour before he started winning. And now he's winning at Eclipse. So that tells me something about Scotty Scheffler. He knows how to win. He knows what his game is about. There's zero weaknesses in his game and his mind, Chris, his mind, nothing bothers him. He's he's in such deflection mode when things are going astray. He's so quick, to get things back on track, uh, it's really impressive, Chris. To, to me, it's it, it. You know, if I was starting like a, a franchise or something, I'd go Scotty Scheffler. Not, not only because he's a great player, but his mind and his body language and how things deflect off of him, he'd be a, a great addition to any team.
0: John, I think Golf Magazine was the place where I where I read that they were suggesting that we could be. In the in the midst of a new big three with Scotty, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, those guys trading the number one ranking. It seems like every week. Uh, your thoughts? Could could we be seeing
1: an, a new big three? I think so, and uh, I'm I'm going to go with Scotty because th- there are no weak weaknesses in his game. Uh, Rory can you know th- there's a foul ball coming every once in a while. Uh, John Rahm, you know. He he runs a little bit hot, maybe to his detriment, just a little bit. He's so talented, Chris, uh, in every part of his game um, that, yeah, absolutely. He is top three. You know, kind of Rory. I mean, when he's on, he is so on and he is really hard to beat. But Scotty Scheffler doesn't beat up on himself. He doesn't beat himself. And. You might not like his foot action. You think that might a foul ball might be coming every once in a while, but you know what? He he backs it up with supreme play in between. And I mean, he he could go off the rails a little bit early. He'll right the ship, and he will build such an advantage that that one bad swing is not going to cost him. And uh, I don't see that in the other two. I don't see them all running away with with uh, with events. Uh, as it, as as it plays out right now. Um, but those are the big three. And I think that they're going to be a little bit interchangeable for the next little while. I don't see um, any of the other top tens kind of creeping in there unless the Masters happens to fall in uh, Patrick Cantley's place or ha- happens to fall in Shoffley's place or happens to fall, you know, wherever it may be uh, to get them in that, that, uh, that discussion. Of the top players in the world, those three right now are are uh, far above uh, the rest of the field.
0: John, you played in a whole bunch of players' championships. I know with Hal when he won in '83, you were the 36 and 54 hole leader, going out in a final round at TPC when the wind is blowing and all that sort of stuff. I mean, heck. Just that 83 year, when I looked at everybody's scores, it seemed like from the final round, I mean, 70, Sevy shot 78, Craig Stadler <laughs> shot 84. Right. I mean, what's it like going out there knowing that 17 and 18 are looming? You're the leader. Boy, I mean, what's it like trying to deal with, you know, not getting ahead of yourself and worrying about when the wind's blowing my, what's it going to be like when I get on the 17th team? My goodness. What's going to be like when I'm standing on 18? How do you deal with all of that?
1: You know, it was interesting. I, I do remember that round uh honestly, and I did have the lead. And I, I think that I made a I made a triple and a double during that final round. I made a bunch of birdies. I know when I got to 17, uh, we were Hal might have been finishing, and I was in the last group and I put it on the green with an eight iron. I remember that. I wasn't hitting gap wedge or pitching wedge. We are hitting eight <laughs> irons, seven irons. I even hit a six iron one day wow. for that right hole location on Sunday. So, you know, we, we can talk about all of that. But um, I, I put in the middle of the green, two putted, and I went to the 18th tee, tied with Hal, knowing that at par ties and we would play off a birdie wins. The wind was howling in out of the left. Which is the last win you want on eighteen at uh, TPC Sawgrass, and I was getting a little aggressive. Um, I tried to like hug that bulkhead, you know, up there. I was I was trying to make a birdie, honestly, and and to win the golf tournament. And I tugged it just a little bit, and it uh, it kicked into the water, and I ended up making a double and finishing third. So. Um, standing up on that tee, and I know it's it's a lot. It's longer now than it was back in 1983, but you know what? It was you know coming down the wire with how, you know, great respect. We battled, you know, in college years, amateur years, um, for him to win there at the Players, um, and coming down the stretch with myself, having that chance to win my first big event. Uh it was it was something special. We knew we knew how special the players was. And uh, you know, playing on a golf course that was so penal, and it was only the second year it was open, so it it had not really settled yet. So it was way more difficult back then. I mean, there was no rough. If the wind blew and you hit a ball offline, you had no idea where it was gonna go. There was zero containment on the golf course and um it was way more penal back in the in, in the 80s than it is now uh there's no way that you could shoot you know back then you know in the double digits under par it just was it was that difficult so um i can tell you that uh it there was just danger on every single shot if you played well and you hit a lot of fairways you would hit a lot of greens if you struggled off the tee and couldn't quite figure out where the wind was blowing from it was very very difficult
0: Six iron on 17. Really? Holy cow. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that's, this is in the nineties and, uh, it was one of the years that Elkington won and I was, i I made a huge run on the, on the back nine. I'm not sure exactly what year it was. It might've been, uh, might've been 97 might've been whatever one of the years that uh, Elkington won. Um, and that right hole location, I think it was like 148 yards, but the wind was ripping from the left and in. And it's one of those just hold, I mean, what, what other kind of shot am I going to play? I don't know what other kind of shot I'm going to play, honestly. So I just tried to chip like this little six iron, try to get it to maybe the center of the green, see what happens on 18. And you know what? I flushed one. The wind kept ripping. It hit just over that bunker on the right rolled down to about you know two and a half feet. I made a two wow. and went to 18 and hit driver three wood, Chris. I hit driver oh, three wood God. to 18 <laughs> that day. That's how hard the wind was blowing. These guys don't hit. They have zero idea on how hard that golf course could play. Wow. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> John, just a couple more before I let you go. And obviously live golf is a big topic and I, I just want to get your thoughts. If, if things play out where it, it doesn't work out for Liv, whether the PIF gets tired of funding it or whatever might happen a year or two down the road, is there a road back for those guys?
1: You know, Chris, I, I would have to think so. And, you know, I, I've said from the start and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a question to ask a 25 year old, 35 year old, a 42, four year old uh, player on, you know, would they go? Why would they go? And you know what? I have no problem with any of these players going. I have no problem with anybody coming out and saying what they're saying against it. Um, I don't really see it going anywhere for a little while. Um, I would say, yeah, I, I, there would be an Avenue back. Uh, Some of these players, you know, really never were, were PGA tour members. So, you know, there's that Avenue back. The other ones are the greats in the world. I mean, they've won major championships. Um, Do they have to maybe serve a little bit of a off time perhaps? Yeah. Um, But I, I miss Dustin Johnson playing golf. Honestly. Uh, I, I miss some of these guys playing golf. Joaquin Neiman. I miss, I miss watching him play golf. Abraham answer was, like right on the edge, Harold Varner was right on the edge. I could see where they could maybe welcome them back, but they're gonna—they would have to serve a little bit of a suspension. But what's the harm in having them back? Just because they made a business decision, a family decision for some of them that didn't grow up with—with with the means, um, they did it for either you know foundation reasons, personal reasons, family, whatever it might be. Doesn't make them bad people. I still talk to Charles Howell. Am I supposed to not like these these guys that went? Um, am I supposed to like get them off of my contact phone? You know, phone numbers. Um, they're still good people, and the PGA Tour. They want to play against the best players. There's still some of the best players are there, and if it doesn't happen, yeah, maybe they serve a little suspension. But welcome them back. I mean. What's the harm in that? Honestly, golf, golf is different. Chris, golf is different. And when you understand and realize that it it is different and these players are the best players in the world, why not have them play? Yeah. Agree with that
0: a hundred percent. John, I want to go back to two memories, two good memories for you, two, two tournaments that you won. Um, your second win on tour came at the eighty-three Canadian Open. You and Johnny Miller finished tie and go into a playoff. You both par five playoff holes in a row until you go on and you you get a birdie on, on the six. What was it like going through six playoff holes to beat Johnny Miller there?
1: Well, the first thing is, Chris, Jack Nicholas finished a shot out of that playoff. So you know wow. I'm, I'm going for my second win. I've got a one iron into the 72nd hole. Um, I could have laid up who hits a one iron. So I hit maybe <laughs> one of the, the best shots of my total career uh on that 72nd hole to be able to make a birdie to tie Johnny Miller. Um, and so the first four playoff holes I had inside of 15 feet to win the golf tournament. And then of course, going back to the 17th hole, now Johnny Miller has a 12-footer to win the tournament. <laughs> And I'm going, oh my God! You know, I'm I'm I had a chance to beat the the best two players, and oh my, you know, here Johnny's going to bury this, and now I'm going to lose this, and oh my God, what's going to happen? And he missed it, and I, I I drove it in the bunker on the 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 sixth playoff hole, so I had to lay it up, and I laid it up to a perfect you know wedge shot, and I was not going to miss this six footer. There's was not wasn't going to happen, so um but to beat johnny in a, in a playoff and and gain that respect of uh you know, of beating two of the the greatest players probably the greatest player and you know one of the great players of my era and my time uh, was a, a a great a great second win the first win at the crosby in 1981 was you know life changing for my wife and i it was Uh, in 1983 to win in Canada, which was basically the fifth major at that time because it got me in the world series of golf. It got me a number of starts just because of that event. Um, So it was, uh, it it was very, very special. I I hold that uh, really dear to my heart to win a national championship um, and, um, you know, to beat Johnny Miller in that playoff and keep going and, and, and not, and not give in and not and and keep persevering and um but that's kind of who i was at that time and like we talked a little bit earlier about the 83 players that you know you know i i i I wouldn't say i gave it away but i had a chance to win that event with with hal coming down the stretch you know I, i i won that one i wasn't giving this one away
0: Let's fast forward 13 years to the FedEx St. Jude Classic in '96. You broke the tour record for low score after 54 holes. You go out and shoot 64, 62, 63, and then come home with a 69 to win by seven strokes. Now, you know guys going into final rounds with big leads sometimes go into the prevent defense and then lose it. You didn't do that. You kept the foot, you know, your foot on the pedal. Talk about that win.
1: So it it was very interesting. I I had one of those rare weeks where it was every number was it was a seven iron, eight iron, six iron. There was no question on what the club was. Um, It was one of those rare weeks that that happens. But uh, I remember warming up on Sunday, and my great friend, mentor uh, Ken Venturi, was on the call, and uh, he came up and he he didn't say much he just watched me hit some shots uh watched me warm up it was you know high 90s it was humid it was yeah didn't need a whole lot of warm up and uh Kenny was watching me you know, warm up a little bit we just chatting about stuff um never chatted about you know anything about you know swing or playing golf we just just chit chat and I got done, you know, warming up, hit my last couple wedges. We're going to go to the, you know, putting green. He just said, "John, you deserve this. Keep doing what you're doing." That was all he said. And they had the golf course set up so difficult on Sunday, and the wind blew a little bit. Um, I knew right away that you know pars were going to be good. I had a big lead, and he, he you know, we had talked about this for years, Chris. You know, twenty five, twenty five years. We talked about you know winning golf tournaments and you know, strategies when you have leads. And you know, my strategy, you know, going into going into Sunday was no three putts. Uh, don't give away the threes, the par threes. Don't make bogeys on the par threes. And you know what? The only way that you're going to blow a big lead is you start hitting the golf ball out of play. And that wasn't really in my My arsenal was, I wasn't super long. I was going to drive the ball straight. So in my iron game just kind of led me into um, having that lead that I didn't have to really worry about a whole lot unless my swing went somewhere and my swing wasn't going anywhere. Kenny believed in me. You know, what he said, just keep doing what you're doing. I went to that first tee in supreme confidence.
0: Changing gears just a little, I know your son Jason played his college golf at Pepperdine and then played professionally for a while, went back to school to Penn State to get yeah. his turf management degree. How's he doing?
1: You know, Chris, um, we're, we're so proud of of Jason that um, if I had his physical abilities, <laughs> it's, it was pretty amazing. He, he's very, very good. Uh, physically incredibly good. But he did realize at some point that he loved the game so much that he wasn't going to quite get to where he was going and wanted to go. But he loved being outside, Chris. He loved being on the golf course. He loved learning about, you know, turf grass. He loved setting up a golf course. He understood the T-sheet on whole locations, all this. So at 34 years old, he decided to go back to college. Graduated Penn State, Turf Grass Management. Uh, he's down in uh, Austin, Texas. He he's working with Discovery Land Company, um, and you know he's has a chance to stay in Austin, Texas at Driftwood uh, Golf and Ranch, or they might move him somewhere else, and he could he could be on a new build somewhere else. But we're so proud of of Jason and where he's been, what he's done. Um, There's very few in that industry, Chris, that has a resume of a professional golfer that understands golf, understands turf management, understands growing grass, setting up golf courses and building golf courses. So, um, you know, we're really proud of him and we hope that he continues on this path because he could be really, really good at it. And uh, he's he's enjoying himself. He's just kind of looking for... You know, what's his next assignment gonna be? Could be in Austin, could be anywhere that uh, Discovery Land is at, or it could be somewhere else. Who knows?
0: So could we see John and Jason Cook build a golf course
1: together? Oh my goodness, that would be an absolute dream come true, Chris. Uh yeah, I you know, it, it as I wind down at sixty-five, um, you know, uh, always looking for opportunities. I'd love to I, I've 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 designed five golf courses. Uh, through my life, I, I would love to be on par- uh, a part of another build at some point and des- design. Um, I would not hesitate to, to hire Jason as a, um, as part of the build. Uh, it would be, uh, it'd be incredible to, uh, to work with Jason on that level, not just learning about the game of golf, but also learning about his world. I don't know a whole lot about his world. To listen to him talk and the passion that he has about uh, turf grass management and, and building a golf course, um, I'm his dad. I can sit back and listen to him talk about it for an hour, and I would be, I'd be honored to do that.
0: John, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's over social media or on the radio?
1: No, that's great, uh, Chris. I appreciate it. I do some work with uh, Sirius XM, PGA Tour Radio. I'm on with Craig kan, uh every Monday. Uh, I'm usually in his 6.30 hour, 6.30 to 7 o'clock hour with Craig Can on Connected. Um, I'm also still doing um, uh, work with, for uh, Golf Channel. Uh, I'm doing a lot of uh, PGA Tour events, doing a lot of the NCAA uh mostly as lean analyst on, on both of those. I do some opposite field events, uh, on, on for, for golf channel. I'll do some champs, uh, PJ tour champions events. Of course on, uh, uh, Twitter, you can catch me at, uh, John cook golf. Uh, and you can also on, on, um, on Instagram, uh, same thing, John cook golf. And, uh, you know, happy to follow. I, I only do Twitter to answer questions. I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that go out there on a limb but instagram i'll also answer questions so um i'm um, readily available and 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 happy to answer some questions sometimes we'll get in some discussions and, you know sometimes it gets a little you know i i, I kind of voice my opinion a little bit every once in a while but uh, it's a great discussion and i i i welcome you know, any comments and any questions at uh, any point in time
0: well john i can't thank you enough For coming back and being generous with your time tonight. Always a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you. You're fantastic, my friend. I I hope we get the privilege of having you back on again soon.
1: Oh, absolutely, Chris. You have great guests. It's such great conversation. To follow my great friend and and rival for so long, Hal Sutton, I just, uh, I love this. I, I enjoy it. I love talking about golf. I'm so passionate about golf. Uh, Chris, that's why I got into the, the media part, to you know, be an analyst, to you know, still be part of television and, and radio. Um, I love this game. I want to promote this game. It's a game for the ages. Uh, I, I just love it. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Well, I appreciate you, my friend. And the passion comes through your voice. And that's what I love so much about having you as part of the show. Um, I wish you the best of luck at the Hogue. I look forward to to watching you over that weekend and and uh, like I say, hopefully we get to have you back on soon.
1: Anytime. Anytime, my friend.
0: Thank you, John. Take care. All the best to you and your family.
1: You as well. Thank you.
0: That is the great John Cook, folks. And as you heard in his voice and you heard his answers, I mean, how great is that guy? I mean, get to hear the stories and the passion from years of playing and, and years of broadcasting and years of being a part of the game of golf that we all love so much. And you can tell why John was so good at it again, 21 victories between the PGA tour and the champions tour. How great is that? And then to to go on and, and be a great broadcaster of the game and and a great ambassador of the game. And that, and that's where I think uh, that I love John so much is, is that ambassador of the game piece, because not only was he a great player, he loves to talk about it. Just like he said a moment ago, and that just, radiates and brings people into the game. I mean, we all love to go out and play play golf whenever we get the opportunity. We all love watching it on TV or on an app or whatever and following our favorite players and that sort of thing. But it's when somebody brings the passion to every part of the game, every aspect of the game that John does, that draws more people into it. It makes the game more fun. It makes the game more accessible. It makes all of us enjoy it more. That's what I take from every opportunity that I've had to have John as part of the show. That's what I take away after his segment is just feeling better about the game of golf and feeling happier that I'm a part of it. And I get to be a part of a show where, where John Cook has come on now five times. He's fantastic. I love following him. I hope he does really well at the Hogue, and I hope we're all privileged enough to have John back on the show, like I say, really soon. Okay, before we go any further, I want to remind you guys about our friends over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to AdeleGolf.com. And folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speedbolt at Squares.com. That's Dot com all right my friends it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of next on the tee i want to send out my sincere thanks again to rob strano hal sutton and john cook for joining me this week scheduled to join me next week are our resident direction uh, director of instruction tom patry will be back as will pga of america hall of famer bob ford what a great guy bob ford is and And a huge privilege to say it'll be his fifth visit with me next week. Looking forward to having Bob back as part of the show. Another one of the top instructors of the game, John Hughes, will be here. And as will Jack Curry from Two Under and Sconey Golf, which, oh, by the way, won Best New Product at the PGA Merchandise Show. Jack will be here with me as well. Folks, you can find this show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcasting content. In particular, you'll find us out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audioboom, Player.fm, and Good Pods. And, and again, a thank you to those folks for making Next on the T one of their recommended podcasts. And my thanks to all of you for just being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I'm very appreciative of everything you do for this show and all the support that you show it. Folks, until next week, hit them straight, my friends.